We're in Genesis chapter 31, the first 21 verses. We saw in the verses that Teresa read this morning, you know, that God was saying that he was going to be with <coughs> Abraham. He was going to be with him in all these different situations. We're going to see that today as well, that, uh, that God is not only with Abraham, but he's with Jacob. <coughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in just a moment. But let me read this illustration for you to help us understand or kind of lead into this passage this morning. During the Vietnam War... My uncle, Captain Ray Baker, and this is uh, Martin Baker who's speaking here, um, flew for the Strategic Air Command. <clears throat> the Air Force trained him, along with all the other pilots, to run out of their barracks to their planes at the sound of a buzzer. He couldn't begin to remember how many times he had dropped his utensils during dinner and bolted to his bomber. He then came home on a furlough to California. When, when he arrived, we took him to his favorite Mexican restaurant, Everything was going great until Captain Baker jumped up without warning and ran out of the building into the parking lot. Catching up with him when he finally stopped running, I asked him in total puzzlement, where are you going? He said, I was looking for my plane, was his bewildered reply as he searched the horizon for the B-52. What, <laughs> what prompted you to run out here, I asked. I heard the buzzer, he said. Then I realized that directly above our table was a buzzer the kitchen used to call the waiters to pick up their meals. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Obedience speaks of unquestioned, immediate action. Is this not what Jesus Christ wants from his followers? Right? Like at, at his prompting of the Holy Spirit or the, the voice of God or the prompting of Scripture, we need to be obedient to what God calls us to do. We're going to see how that, that relates to Jacob <clears throat> here in obedience of moving on. Judy and I have moved several times in our 31 years of marriage, and most of the time it's been because of a job change for me. We moved from Ohio to Missouri when I accepted the position at the headquarters of Child Evangelism Fellowship. We moved from Missouri to California to begin working with Every Generation Ministries, and we moved from California to Pennsylvania to begin serving in pastoral ministry at Idaville Church. We always prayed and sought God's will for each of those moves. And the one thing that gave me confidence to make each of those moves was Judy's encouragement and support. She was, has always been willing to move uh, when we knew that it was God's will for our lives. And she would tell me that she would go wherever God was leading me. And so I just had confidence and courage to take those steps of faith, knowing that she was willing to go with me anywhere, wherever God was leading us. And I'm grateful for her unwavering support over the years, and I, I can say with confidence that God has truly blessed me with an incredible wife. We've served in ministry together for many, many years, and, and it's just been a blessing to be able to, to do that. And every time that God asked us to move, he was not just saying it to me, he was saying it to her, and, and together we would agree that that was God's will. And she would say, I'll go wherever God's calling you to go. What a blessing. And so hopefully all of us have had that kind of support and encouragement through life's transitions. My prayer is that all of us have had a spouse or parents, a child or friends that have supported and encouraged us throughout our lives as we've transitioned between jobs, maybe houses, schools, whatever the case may be. Jacob experienced the support and encouragement of Rachel and Leah as he shared with them what God was calling him to do. Perhaps he was not sure how they would react to a 300-mile move away from their family, friends, and homeland. 
what Jacob experienced was the truth of our big idea today that obedience to the Lord brings favor. He works things out in advance of us, right? When, when we're obedient to him, he's like, I don't, I'll take care of everything else. I'll take care of your spouse. I'll take care of, of your friends and your family. I'm going to take care of everything for you. And we find favor uh, with the Lord when we're obedient to what he's calling us to do. <clears throat> and so as we think about that, would you just bow your heads with me? as we commit it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today hungry for your word, hungry for what you want to teach us today. Lord, I pray that you would fill us to overflowing, that we would leave here just full with your word, Lord God, that we wouldn't be spiritually hungry, but that, uh, Lord God, we would be satisfied with your word today. As we just, as we delve into it, Lord God, as we, as we um, feast on it today, Lord God, would it just bring satisfaction and fulfillment. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your humble servant today. Help me not to say anything that's not from you. Shut my mouth from saying those words. Lord, would I only speak your words this morning? I want you to be honored and glorified above all else. And so we commit this passage to you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, we have five points today. You're like, oh my goodness. This is going to be so long. It's not, trust me. I went through it Thursday night. It didn't take that long. <clears throat> but four of the five points can actually come from a commentary, just the title of the points, not all the content underneath the points. So I just wanted to make you aware that Matthew's commentary on uh, the New American Commentary, Volume 1B, Genesis 11, 27 through 30, or 50, verse 26. So when you hear those, uh, when you hear dissension and, div and divine uh, directive and defense and deception, those titles for these points came from his commentary, and then there's one other D word that I, I threw in there to make a fifth point. So you'll hear it. It'll be different than the ones that I just mentioned. But anyhow, I wanted to give credit where credit's due there. Genesis chapter 31, uh, verses 1 to 21. We look at dissension first in verses 1 and 2. And so if you look at that passage with me, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. This is what God's word says. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth, all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. And so <clears throat> what we see here is Jacob heard that Laban's sons were not happy with his prosperity. How many of us feel that same way, Right. Like when, when other people are prospering and we're not, we're like, well, why is that happening? I just, I'm, so, I'm kind of upset about that. Now, they, maybe they felt like they were justified in that because they're like, he's prospering because of our father and our father's wealth. And so they're a little bit upset about that, and they blamed him for taking everything that Laban owned. But we're going to realize that's not true. They said that Jacob gained his wealth from what belonged to Laban. And in and, and just a little bit, we're going to find out that it, it really, Laban was going to make it difficult on him. Mark kind of brought that out last week. They were watching their inheritance being transferred to a quote-unquote foreigner. Like this dude came from Canaan 300 miles away, and now he's like t taking all the wealth. And this wasn't sitting well with them. Jacob not only heard what Laban's sons were saying about him, but he noticed that Laban was treating him differently. He noticed that Laban's attitude, his father-in-law's attitude, had changed in some way. It wasn't what it had been. Laban had, adjoined, had enjoyed many years of benefit from Jacob's presence with him, but that had now changed. The reason that, 
that Laban was benefiting from Jacob's presence there is because God's presence was with Jacob, right? He was benefiting from God through Jacob. And so that's what was taking place. Waltke says this, alienation first expressed physically in three days distance. That's what he did with the sheep and goats, right? He separated them and then took them three days away and gave them to his sons and said, you take care of them here so that they can't mingle uh, with the purebreds, the, the black goats and the white sheep. And then is now psychologically complete. So it wasn't just a physical move. Now it was this emotional move for Laban. He's like, I'm going to kind of start distancing myself from Jacob. I'm feeling kind of badly towards him. So this is what's taking place. Laban had made it difficult on Jacob to prosper, so he thought by taking a certain male and female goats and other lambs and moving them three days away. So that, that was Laban's thinking. He's like, I'm going to make it difficult on Jacob to prosper. Genesis chapter 30, verses 35 to 36, Pastor Mark shared last week, that same day he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Now, just to remind you what's happening here uh, from last week, Laban and Jacob have just struck an agreement <clears throat> that Jacob's wages are going to be any streaked, uh, spotted, or speckled animals, offspring. So what does Jacob do? He takes all of the streaked and speckled and spotted adult uh, animals, moves them three days away. That doesn't seem right, right? Like, that's the kind of animals or offspring that they are going to produce, a streak speckled and spotted. What Laban has done is he's left the black goats and the white sheep in the care of Jacob, and then any offspring, by chance, that becomes streak speckled, or spotted will be Jacob's wages. See how wrong this was? <laughs> Laban's sons are not right in saying that Jacob stole their father's inheritance, or their father's wealth. Because look what Laban's doing here. He's making it very difficult, almost impossible, so he thinks, for Jacob to gain any wages from his flock and his herds. So the dissension between Jacob and his father-in-law and his sons was not by chance. This leads us to our first principle today, which comes out of Gangle and Bramer's commentaries. God sometimes uses circumstances and other people's attitudes to indicate that a change is needed. He's preparing Jacob and Rachel and Leah for a change, for a move. Jacob realized that things were never going to be the same if he remained in Mesopotamia or Haran, Padan, Aram, however, you know, there's all these different names for it, with Laban and his sons. God used three things to let Jacob know it was time to move on. And these three things come from Wearsby's commentary. Inner witness in the heart. So inner witness in the heart. He was like, uh, so if we go back to Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, we read these words. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. So God was already putting in the heart <clears throat> of Jacob this desire, this inner desire to return home. We know that he's supposed to go back there, right? That's what God had said, you know? And, and uh, Rebecca said, you go away for a little while until your, your brother Esau simmers down a little bit, and then I'll call for you and you can come back. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. So 
We have, we have to discern whether or not the inner witness of the heart is God's leading or our own desires. So not every inner um, witness in our heart is from God. I just, I want to make that clear. Because I don't want you to walk away from here and go, oh, well, I'm feeling this desire and it has to be from God. Well, sometimes it's not. It's just our own desires. So we have to be able to discern that. And we'll talk a little bit more about how we can do that in just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and be beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's why I say not every inner desire that we have is from God because our heart is deceitful. <laughs> you know, it's, it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? So through prayer... And the counsel of other believers, God will make it clear if it is his will or our desires. <clears throat> and no, I've seen that in my own life. I've, I've experienced that, where God just speaks through other people. And, and that was what happened. You know, you know my story. And if you're here and you've been here a while, you know the story, frontwards and backwards. I'm driving to work on, uh, you know, in Southern California, and it takes a long time to do that. Just go seven miles. It's like a half hour. And I'm praying one day, and I'm asking God, God, where do you want me to be and what you want me to be doing? Because what I'm doing doesn't feel like the end for me. And hear his voice say, I already told you what I wanted you to do. And I knew that it was pastoral ministry. He's already been working on my heart about that. So that day I said to him, okay, I'll do it, but I'm scared to death. Two weeks later, the, um, two weeks later, the, the uh, president's assistant pulls me aside and says, I was having a time of prayer with the Lord today, and, she, and he asked me to ask you if you ever thought about being a pastor. Hmm. Okay. That's hard to get away from, right? Then I talked to Judy. Well, I talked to Judy prior to that and told her what was going on. And she said, well, I always thought that God was going to have me marry a pastor. You know, I'm like, oh, my. You know, there's a confirmation, right? I started talking with my parents about it and other people about it. And they said, yes, we see that in you. And um, other people, you know. So I started getting confirmation from the counsel of other people. And understanding that that was what God's will was. The second thing that God used to kind of help uh, Jacob know that it was time to move on was in outward circumstances of life. And again, I want to I caution us here that not every outward circumstance <clears throat> is the finger of God pointing out his way. Again, sometimes the circumstances of life are a result of our decisions, good or bad. <clears throat> and it's not always God leading, but it can be. In Paul's journey to Rome as a prisoner, they were having difficulty sailing because the sailing season was almost over. The centurion did not listen to Paul's advice to stay in port um, over the winter, but rather he took the pilot of the ship's advice. <clears throat> then we read these words. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. There it is, right? Oh, this is soft, gentle, southerly breeze. This is just what we wanted to keep sailing at the end of sailing season. But let's keep reading. <clears throat> So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete before very long a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and, and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Right? Oh, we got what we wanted. And God's like, take this. <laughs> right? <laughs> hurricane force winds. So not every circumstance that we come our way is God prompting us to make a change. But it can be. There are times that God may make us uncomfortable <clears throat> in order to motivate us to make a change. Maybe you've experienced that. It's like things are just getting uncomfortable here. The third thing that God used in Jacob's life was the, was the truth of his word, of God's word. 
Corson says this, when the Lord wants to move us, the scriptures we read day by day after day all seem to point in that direction. Have you ever experienced that? Like God's wanting you to make a change and all of a sudden you're reading and you're like, oh my goodness, like that just jumped off the page at me. And, and then you do your devotions the next day and that's, that passage is still say, is saying the same thing. You're like, what is going on? Now, now here's a, a non-spiritual um, kind of illustration of that. When we, um, I can't remember if it was after we bought the Prius or before we bought the Prius. Anyhow, all of a sudden there's Priuses everywhere, right? You just become aware of it, right? They've been there the whole time, but I just wasn't aware of it. But when, we, when God's starting to prompt us about a change, I think he makes us aware. And we see that in scripture. We become uh, more uh, attuned to what he's asking us to do. And so we see that <clears throat> taking place here, the truth of God's word. As we will see in verses 10 to 13, God had already spoken to Jacob in a dream, preparing him to move on. Jacob would accumulate his wealth before making the move, though. So Gangle and Brammer say, the Lord often uses the negative attitudes of other people, in this case Laban and his sons, to make us wonder whether it's time to move on. And pastors experience this with congregations, men and women in business and industry experience it, and many who just think about relocating. They begin to, to sense that that's the, what they need to do. So how about you today? Are you feeling an inner desire for change? Maybe it has to do with school or work, a relationship, your house, where you're living. Maybe it's something else. But are you sensing a change on, on the horizon, this inner desire? Are outward circumstances confirming those inner feelings? Have certain people's attitudes changed toward you? Is God speaking to you about making a change in your times of prayer and study of the word? Are you hearing God speak to you about a change? If, if you're experiencing those things today, maybe you need to take this next step today, which is to discern God's will concerning a change he's asking me to make in my life. So begin to talk to those that are close to you, that are maybe other followers of Christ. Say, this is what I feel like God's saying to me. What do you think? Let God speak to you through his word, through prayer, through the counsel of others. Listen to what God's saying, and then be obedient to that. So Jacob knew that circumstances had changed with his father-in-law and his sons, but he also received a divine directive. Look at verse 3 with me, if you would. We see the divine directive here. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So he gets the voice of God directly. We see two things here. We see a command and a promise. The command is this. God told Jacob to go back to the land of his fathers and to his relatives. He says, I want you to go back to the land of Canaan. His relatives would be his father, um, Isaac, and his brother Esau and their families. Jacob uh, fled Canaan at the prompting of his mother because Esau was plotting to kill him. Rebekah had told Jacob to stay with Laban until Esau's fury had subsided and he was no longer angry and she would send for him. We see that in Genesis chapter 27, verses 44 to 45. And it's been 20 years since that happened and Rebekah is no longer alive. So how would Jacob be received? Fortunately, Jacob didn't have to worry because of God's promise that we see here. I will be with you. 
God promised to be with Jacob. That's our second principle today, that God promises to be with us. Here's some biblical background to help us with that today. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's with us. He sent Jesus from heaven to earth. Now we have the Holy Spirit that lives within us. John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17. And I will call, and and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. There's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He will be with us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. This is the end of the Great Commission. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. It applies to us today as well. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's with us. Psalm chapter 139, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? This, was, this is incredible, I like this. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Is there any place where God's not at that we can escape? No, he is with us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the second part of that verse says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's God's promise to us. Verse 6 goes on and says, so I can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Is he with us? Is God with us? Yes. Are you excited about that? Okay, I hope so. (laughs) I'm excited about it. I hope you can tell. This is a promise we can receive as followers of Jesus Christ. God promised to be with Jacob as he returned to a potentially volatile situation with his brother. God promised to be with Jacob as he traveled 300 miles with his family, flocks, herds, and possessions. God promises to be with us when we face potentially volatile situations in our lives. God promises to be with us through the changes he's asking us to make. God promises to be with us through every trial, whether it's physical, emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, and on and on the list could go, right? Whatever you're facing today, you can receive the promise that God is with you, and maybe you need to take that next step today, and it's to receive the promise from the Lord that he will be with me. That can give you confidence today, right? It can help you to rest in the worries that you're experiencing, the anxiety that you're experiencing about this potential change that's coming or other things that are happening in your life. Jacob was going to experience the favor of the Lord through his presence with him as he stepped out in faith and obedience. And the same is true for us. Obedience to the Lord brings favor through his presence with us. Isn't that wonderful? As we obey him, we can trust in his presence, his favor through his presence with us. After Jacob receives the divine directive to go, he calls for Rachel and Leah to join him in the field. This is what we see his defense as he talks with his wives. Uh, Verses 4 to 13. Look at those verses with me if you would. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but, but the God of my father has been with me. You know what I, that I have worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. 
If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the uh, streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked um, young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked, and I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So what we see here in this defense is first the attitude change. Jacob shared with Rachel and Leah that their father's attitude had changed toward him. Laban's no longer viewing Jacob and his service as a benefit to him anymore. And as mentioned earlier, Laban's probably feeling the same way as his sons are feeling, that Jacob has taken everything that belonged to him. But we see that that's not the case because Jacob is cheating, trying to cheat, or I'm sorry, Laban is trying to cheat Jacob. Jacob reminds Rachel and Leah about his work ethic. He worked for Laban with all his strength. Of course, he was motivated by love, right? We talked about that. He's like, I'll work for you seven years for, for, you know, for Rachel. And then he gets Leah. And then he's like, well, I'll work another seven years for Rachel as well. So he's motivated by love. And if you recall, seven years seemed like a few days to him, as Jacob mentioned in Genesis 29, 20. Jacob then reminds them of how their father cheated him by changing his wages often. When it talks about 10 times, all that means is that it was often. It's just, it happened a bunch. Not necessarily 10 times exactly. Laban would uh, tell Jacob which animals of the flock would be his, but when they gave birth to those kind of animals, Laban would change his mind. When Laban would give Jacob the speckled ones as his wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And when Laban would give Jacob the streaked ones as his wages, then all the flocks gave birth to streaked young. And after Jacob made his defense with Laban's attitude change and the cheating habits, he shared with them about the dream he had. <clears throat> we now see where Jacob got the idea to ask for the streaked, speckled, and spotted animals as his wages. It came from God. He did wasn't him. It came from God. The dream that Jacob had happened during the breeding season. The angel of the Lord said, uh, said his name, and Jacob responded that he was here. Jacob saw in the dream that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Even when Laban removed the streaked, speckled, and spotted animals and, and the dark-colored lambs and sent them three days' journey away, God was going to provide those kind of offspring for Jacob through the black goats and white sheep, uh, the seemingly quote-unquote, purebred animals. Isn't that phenomenal? God's in control. He's in control of it all. And we see God's providence highlighted in three ways in Jacob's defense. In verse 5b, we see God's providence in his presence. When Laban's attitude changed toward Jacob, he was able to see that the God of his father had been with him. The Lord had just reiterated that that promise before Jacob spoke with Rachel and Leah in verse 3. We see the providence of God in his protection in verse 7b. When Laban cheated Jacob by changing his wages multiple times, Jacob knew that God had protected him. God had not allowed Laban to harm him. And then we see 
the providence of God and his provision for Jacob in verse 9. Even when Laban thought he had made it impossible for Jacob to gain any wages by removing the streaked, speckled, and spotted animals the dark color, and the dark-colored lambs, God provided for Jacob through the black goats and white sheep. Jacob became wealthy with streaked, speckled, and spotted offspring. And it had nothing to do with his superstitious practice of peeling the bark back on poplar, almond, and plain tree branches. I don't even know what Jacob was doing, right? What, what are you doing? Why are you wasting your time with that? God's in control. It was the providence and power of God to do the impossible. How does that apply to us? Our third principle today is that God's providence is evident through his presence, protection, and provision. We can trust in the providence of God through his presence, protection, and provision. The Lord will be with us through whatever is happening in our lives. We already talked about this with the second principle today. The Lord will protect us when others try to harm us. The Lord will provide for us even when we think it's impossible. So where are you at today? Do you need God's providence to manifest itself through his presence, protection, and or provision? I would encourage you to cry out to him today. And when he calls your name, be sure to respond with, here I am. That's what Jacob did. Jacob, here I am. Stuart, here I am. Judy, Judy, Judy. And we got three of them there today. Here I am right? Be sure to respond that way. And maybe you're ready to take this step today, and that's to cry out to God for his presence, protection, and or provision. The fourth principle they see here, which covers all of verses 4 to 13, is that spiritual leadership is important. I don't want us to miss this this morning. It seems as though Jacob is finally stepping up as the spiritual leader of his household. Instead of just passively listening to his wives, he's listening to the Lord and leading his family. He takes the initiative and calls for Rachel and Leah. He shares with them what he has seen and experienced with their father. He also shares the divine dream that he had and how the Lord directed him through that dream. Men... I'm talking to you now. God has called us to be spiritual leaders of our households. We cannot just passively listen to our wives. We need to be listening to the Lord and then lead our wives and children. We need to be the ones who initiate spiritual activities in our homes, whether it's Bible reading or prayer, church attendance or witnessing. God has called us to this. He hasn't called anyone else to it. He hasn't called your dad to it. He hasn't called your granddad to it. He hasn't called your best friend to it. He's called you to it. Our wives and children are eagerly, eagerly desiring this from us. I want you to just listen to a couple of statistics today about how important it is for men to lead spiritually in their households. If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one in child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. That's huge. When both parents attend a Bible study in addition to Sunday service, 72% of their children attend Sunday school when grown. When only the father attends Sunday school, 55% of the children attend when grown. When only the mother attends Sunday school, 15% of the children attend when grown. You see that huge gap? Just wait, there's a bigger one coming. If a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow. 
3.5% if the child accepts Christ before anyone else in the family does. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability everyone else in the household will follow. 17%. Do you see the last one? However, when the father is the first, there's a 93% probability everyone else in the household will follow. Do you see what God has placed on us as men, as fathers, as spiritual leaders of our household? This is important. So significant. I don't want us to miss it. Men, our wives and children want to follow our spiritual leadership. That's how important it is. Jacob found out that obedience to the Lord brought favor with his wives and family. Men, we can experience favor with our wives and children when we obey the Lord and step up as the spiritual leaders of our households. That's so important. Jacob's finally getting it. He's what, how old now? Close to 100 or something? I don't know how old he is. He's really old. And he's finally getting it. We don't have to wait till we're really old to get it. Maybe you're ready to take this next step today, men. As a man, take my role as the spiritual leader of my household seriously and make any changes needed. What do we need to do? What do I need to do? Guys, think about it for yourself today. What do I need to do? Maybe you're like, well, my kids are grown. I don't know what to do. You can still invest in their lives and you can invest in their children. You can still be that spiritual leader. At the end of the dream, the angel of the Lord reminded Jacob of a couple of things. The angel of the Lord reminded Jacob of who he is and the vow that he made. The Lord is the God of Bethel. This takes us back to Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22, when Jacob had the dream on his way to Haran, where the angels were ascending and descending on a stairway. Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because the Lord had met him there. And it was there that Jacob set up the stone that was under his head and anointed it with oil and made a vow to the Lord. The vow was twofold. When the Lord brought him safely home to Canaan, Jacob would acknowledge that the Lord would be his God. And the other part of the vow was that he would give a tenth of all that the Lord gave him back to the Lord. The angel not only reminded Jacob of who he was as God, and the vow that he had made as a human, but he also gave him a command. He said, move on. Jacob was to leave the land he was living in, which was Haran, and go back to the land of his native land, which was Canaan. This command came during the breeding season, so Jacob had not obtained his wealth yet. <clears throat> and in verse 3, the Lord told Jacob it was time to move on. He had now already accumulated his wealth at this point, so it was time to move on. So the angel of the Lord prepared him for this, and then he said, the time is now. And Jacob's defense was convincing, but I believe the Lord was already preparing Rachel and Leah for this huge move. Their response is one of support and determination. That's our fourth point today is determined. determined. Look at verses 14 to 16. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children, so do whatever God has told you. There's no inheritance here for us, they say. Rachel and Leah recognized that as Laban's daughters, they did not have any share in the inheritance of their father's estate. That would go to his sons. 
and especially his firstborn son. They are now Jacob's responsibility. They also realize that their father's attitude toward them had probably changed as well. He regards them as foreigners. I don't even know you, right? Where'd you come from? They felt like their father had sold them. Whatever dowry their father should have saved for them, he has used up. If you remember, Jacob is working for Laban in order to kind of pay off the dowry. But their father has not saved that dowry amount aside to give to them in case Jacob dies. So they have, they have no dowry. And so whatever dowry their father would have saved for them, he's already used. They acknowledge that God had blessed Jacob and had provided for them through their husband. And so they say, obey God. They encourage Jacob to do just that. They told him to do what God had told him to do. And I'm sure that Jacob was pleased to hear that his wives were agreeable to God's prompting and plan. And with the support of his family, Jacob does not hesitate to obey the Lord. And we see in the final verses, deception, uh, in verses 17 to 21. But first we see that Jacob obeys the Lord. Look at 17 to 21. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him, along with all the goods that he had accumulated in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. So Jacob obeys the Lord. He loads his family members on camels, which would allow them to travel more quickly than on foot. They were going to get a three-day head start, because... <laughs> That's probably where Laban's at, where the sheep are three days away, shearing them. So he drove all of his livestock ahead of him. Presumably, some of the livestock were burdened with carrying or pulling wagons with all the goods he had accumulated. Um, and there at Padan Aram, they're on the south part of, of Haran. So he's already, like, he's already getting closer to Canaan at this point. It's still going to be a 300-mile journey, though. Um, we'll see in, in the coming weeks that God was pleased with Jacob's immediate obedience. That's the fifth principle today, is that God is pleasing when we obey him immediately. We've talked today about a potential change that God may be asking you to make. We've also seen how important fathers are in the faith of their wives and children. Perhaps the Holy Spirit's prompting some of us to make a change today. Will you be obedient to the Holy Spirit's prompting? You see, because obedience to the Lord brings favor. The final thing we see is some deception that takes place. Rachel's deception was that she stole her father's household gods while he was busy shearing his sheep. We'll see in several weeks that she continues her deception when Laban pursues Jacob. That's in chapter 31, verses 34 and 35. These household gods may have been made to look like some of their ancestors, potentially. We don't really know. Could just look like a god. As well, these gods were believed to provide protection and blessing. Perhaps that's why Rachel took them. They were small enough to be concealed under a camel's saddle. Jacob's deception is this the same Hebrew word is used for stole in verse 19 that is then translated deceived in verse 20. The exact same one. And so Wolke says this is better translated stole the heart. To steal the heart can mean to deceive, but elsewhere it involves taking away a person's ability to discern and act appropriately. He was stealing Laban's heart. It is his daughters and his grandchildren. If you're a parent you or a grandparent, you understand that. 
Jacob fled across and crossed the Euphrates River and headed for the hill country of Gilead. So you can't see, it's far north. Gilead's kind of right in the middle there on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Uh, and then Haran is like, and Padan Aram are further north on this map. I couldn't get it all, <laughs> all into one map. It was too great of a distance. As we just review, what change or changes is the Lord asking you to make? Do you need to receive the Lord's promise that he will be with you through that? And are you ready to cry out to God for his presence, protection, and provision? And we can do all three of those things as the body here at Idaville Church. Stormy Martian, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Oh, Matir, anyhow, says this, Trust that God has your best interests in mind and be willing to do what he asks you to do, even if you don't understand why. And then here's the important part. Obedience starts with having a heart that says yes to God. And then we'll see his favor as a result of that. As the Holy Spirit just works in your heart and mind, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, we just come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that when we are obedient to you, that we can find favor in your presence. We can find favor with those around us, our family members. We can find favor in many other ways. And we thank you for that today. Help us to be obedient to what you're calling us to do, whether it's to make a change, to step up as the spiritual leader of our household. Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do, will we be obedient to that? Will we take time to be in your word and in prayer and in the counsel of others to know that it's coming from you and not just our own desires? And so we ask this in your precious son's name. Amen.